Well, when uh, my wife Jennifer and I uh, started to plan our uh, wedding, we met with a DJ to plan the different songs that we would have at our reception. And there was one particular song that I wanted to have played for sure, and it was by this group right here. Anybody remember who that was? Heavy D and the boys with a Z on the end, right? And um, that particular group, uh, a little unknown fact that some of you know, there was actually an additional member of this group. I think we have a picture of him. And, um, and we laid down a track uh, back in the day, 90, 92, and I'd like you to listen to it right now. If you want to move, you can. Uh, clap, whatever you want to do, or if you're white and don't do anything, just stand there, okay? Go ahead. my groove thing on up in here. Now, there are some people right now like, this does not seem like church. (laughs) All right. Hey, there is a point. I love that song, and I loved it for 22 years. But the more that I thought about the song, it's really not so much uh, the title, now that we've found love, what are we going to do with it? It's not so much a statement, folks, but it's a question. Now that you've found love, what are you going to do with it? But it's not a love that Heavy D talked about, but it's God's love. That God loves every single person in this gym today. He loves every single person in this world. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. No matter where you're at in life, God is head over heels in love with you. And God's kind of like this. He's like, well, well, if you know that, if you know that I love you no matter what, then he says, I have a question for you that now that you found love, what are you going to do with it? Today... I want us to really allow this big idea to be tattooed on our brains. And here it is. And this is the first fill-in. You can do that in the program or on your app. If you go to your app, we have it there too. And this is the big idea. Love is the supreme value of the Christian faith. More than anything else, more than hope, more than faith, it's Love, that is the supreme value. Let there be no doubt this morning that the ultimate value of Christianity is love. In fact, one day Jesus was challenged by a group of people asking them, well, if you took all of your teachings and you kind of took it down to one thought, what is the essence of what you're doing, Jesus? And this is what he said, that it is to Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then to love people. To love your neighbor as yourself. 
to love people, all people. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to learn how to love better. That in connection with the series title of being stronger, we want to be stronger in how we love. And I think it's very timely because in our American culture, the one thing that I hear more and more all the time is that, you know, Christians don't love like the Bible says they're to love. That Christ followers are not as loving as perhaps they should be or they ought to be. My Uncle Phil was the biggest redneck I've ever met in my life. He was a really tough guy. He liked to bully people. He was in the military. He had gone to Germany to fight for our country. He was married one time, but that marriage didn't last very long because marriage wasn't his thing. You, you know some friends like that? You're like, they should never get married. They should never get married, and that's the way he was. He liked to go to bars, or at least be in bar fights. He liked to golf. He liked to hunt. He liked to fish. He liked to put all of his NRA kind of, uh, you know, bumper stickers all over the back of his car. So that if anyone gave him any difficulty, maybe he'd just pull out a gun, because he always carried a gun in his truck, too. But maybe... What he enjoyed doing most of all was getting around a whole bunch of Christian people that were talking about God and then for him to say, I'm agnostic. And he just loved to watch people be like, oh no, Satan's in the house, let's pray for him, you know. And I was pretty sure that he was the kind of person that did these kind of things just for A reaction. I really didn't think that he didn't believe in God. And then as I grew older, I realized that he really wasn't sure that he believed in God or not. And he always used to say, people that believe in God, they're misguided. They're kind of weak in their mind. They're not as intellectually strong as I am. And I remember having a conversation in which he said, in my opinion, Chris... Christ followers are not any more loving than I am. The ones in my neighborhood, they get up early in the morning, they put on these clothes that they don't wear any other time during the week except on Sunday. And then as they drive by, many times they're meaner than I am. They won't even wave at me. Like I'll wave at them and they won't even wave back at me. And so Chris, I don't think most Christians are any more loving than I am. And in my teens and 20s, when he would say that, I would get so frustrated and angry and I'd try to pull out Bible verses and let him know that, you know, no, Christians really are loving and, you know, maybe if you just opened your heart a little bit more and I'd have all these different debates with him and he would win every single time. I'd be like, yeah, you're right, I guess we're not. And then I would think, well, He's the one, though, after I'd leave these debates, I'd be so angry. I'm like, no, he's the one that's not loving, not Christians. I mean, he's the one that would cuss like a sailor in front of people. He's the one that would be cantankerous around anyone, everyone, 
Even the poor Walmart checkout person, you know, just rip them a new one. And he was the one who regularly, when we would go visit him, if he got tired of my mom, who is his sister, he would say, I'm done with you. Go to your room. And he meant it. And here's my mom, you know, she's like getting up, walking to her room. And I'm like, he is such a jerk. And I always thought that I was much higher than he was when it came to a capacity to love someone. But then one day it hit me that when you think about this whole concept of love, it's not so much where people necessarily end up that we have to evaluate, but it has to be where did they start. So let me kind of give you a graphic kind of illustration of a comparison between my uncle and myself when it comes to our love journey. Let's look at me first. I grew up in a very, very loving home. Parents that loved me, they loved God, they encouraged us to love one another in our household, even though it was very difficult to love my brother Tim sometimes. And uh, you, we just talked about love, and it was very, very prevalent and present within our home. And I, I came at a very good foundation of knowing how to love other people. Also, my extended family, they loved me. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, except my Uncle Phil sometimes. But all the rest of them, you know, they, they really were so much in love with me. And since I was a PK, a preacher's kid, I had all these uh, little old ladies that were in the church. They'd be like, you're like my grandson. And I'd be like, give me 20 bucks, you know. <laughs> and so there were all these people in the church that they loved me too. And then I thought about, if you go a little bit more, you think about my... Uh, All the coaches and teachers I had. I had some amazing teachers. Great coaches. They had great love and affection for me. They'd encourage me. I was always on teams where there was success, but there was great mentors that were a part of that. And then I became a pastor, and the three churches that I pastored in, the work environment was always really great. There was no toxic kind of stuff. We we actually saw one another as friends and not just co-workers. And to be honest, my ability to love, honestly, is quite high. It's very high. I mean, I was just pretty well kind of geared towards how to love other people. Then I started thinking about my uncle. My uncle lived in a poverty-stricken family just trying to barely make it, and at the age of 12, his mom died. And my grandfather wasn't really sure how to handle all of that and struggled with things himself until finally he thought, well, I just need to marry someone, and he married a woman who made the wicked stepmother in Cinderella look like Cinderella. And she was hateful, and she brought hate into the family. And everything was surrounded about her demeaning and putting down other people. You know, many people, folks, actually live in homes like that. Some of you, 
the reality is you grew up in homes where it wasn't love, but there was some real hate there. People who, as parents, always had rage in the home, who beat their kids, who disrespected them, who would tell them that they were worthless, they were nothing. And this is the kind of home environment that my uncle was a part of with his stepmother. And so, actually, he started out a deficit when it came to his journey to love. I mean, he didn't, he didn't start up where I did. Then at the age of 15, he left the house and just kind of tried to make it on his own. And the only way he could do that was by living in the homes of his relatives. And most of them were alcoholics and racists. And so, in a real way, he was just around a whole bunch of people that were just kind of crazy themselves. I mean, I've been to some of the family reunions. They're nuts. That's my mother, but it's true. She tries to defend the crazy, but it is crazy, okay? And they did terrible things, and all of a sudden... You know, he just went down a little further. And then I never heard my uncle my entire life. I never heard him talk about a teacher or a coach or a sergeant or someone in his life who had given him love and affection and had encouraged him in that way. And then he worked at a place where, for the most part, as I got to hear his story, it was a toxic environment for 30 years. And so at the end of his retirement, he was like, I'm just going to get away from everything. And he moved down to be a hermit in Florida. And it's kind of hard to be a hermit in Florida. There's a lot of people that live there. But he researched to find outside of the Everglades what was the most remote location where the least population was present. And he found that in the St. John's River, a place where there is still true Florida there, and that's where he moved. And over time, the thing that happened was, I think as he lived by himself, he started kind of softening up. And each time that we would go to Florida, my mom wouldn't be kicked to her room so much. And he would be more sensitive to her. In fact, this big redneck uh, got so intrigued with birds that he became a part of the Audubon Society. We would go down there and he'd be like, oh, this is the little bird that's here. And I'm like, what happened to my uncle, you know? <laughs> we'd get in a boat and we'd like ride around. He'd like tell us all about these little Tweety birds, little, little Tweety birds, you know? Now, spiritually, he would still say that he was agnostic, but he was really open to things of God. He actually read the Bible three times all the way through. And he wanted to know about things of God. He still wasn't sure, but he didn't have this hardness anymore either. And then one day, two years before he died, he had a massive heart attack and a stroke, and half of his body was paralyzed. And he lived the last two years like that. And he was in and out of the hospital all the time. And whenever we would visit him, many times he was in a nursing home or a hospital or there were people coming in to try to help him at his house. And I started to notice that the people that cared for him, my uncle really started to love them. And he would reach out to the nurse, to the therapist, to the home health care people that would come in. 
And there was this softening of him. (laughs) Strangest thing. He was pretty much a racist most of my growing up years. He selected a black doctor to be his family doctor. And he actually told me, he's like, yeah, me and doctor, I don't remember his name, me and doctor so-and-so, I take him out fishing all the time and I show him all the birds. What? (laughs) And then at the end of his life, he found Jesus. And it raised him from where he was at, if you look at this chart, it raised him all the way up to the same level. And so even though I thought that I was able to love people much more, when you look at this graph, who has gone further in their love journey, folks? My uncle. Folks, it's really, really important to know where people started, isn't it? You see, it's very dangerous to make a judgment that somehow you're more loving than the other person because you have no idea, you have no way of knowing where they actually started. And the starting point, folks, it really, really matters. Now, does this make sense to anybody? You guys get this? You got it? Okay, good. Because I had five minutes to fill, and that's it. So... uh, about as good as you can. All right. So now let's go ahead and let's really deal with this question this morning that we're talking about. And it's this. How can we all grow stronger in love? How can we grow stronger in love? Well, first John 419 gives us a very clear response. It says this. We love because he first loved us. It wasn't so much that, oh, God, we love you. No, 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 no. It was first that he loved us. This verse seems to say that the greater our awareness of the Father's love for us, the stronger in love then we are able to love other people. Let's say that again. The more that we realize how much the Father loves us, then it allows us to be able to be stronger in our love toward other people. Folks, our capacity to love is directly connected to how much we open ourselves up to God's love for us. I mean, every time my vision of God's love for me becomes bigger or greater, then all of a sudden I'm able to expand my love for other people. Friends will come up to me and they'll be like, man, you're loving people in a greater way. And, and I know it's directly related, not to the fact that, oh, I'm, I'm really working hard. It's because I understand how much God loves a messed up person like Chris Bunch, and so I can love people more. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is like to, to share with you what I think is the greatest chapter in the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, on God's extent and the depth of his love, and it's in Luke chapter 15. Now let me give you a little bit of background uh, on this. Jesus is hanging out with a group of irreligious people, people who are prostitutes, people who are scoundrels, people who are cheaters, 
people who take advantage of other people. That's who he's hanging out with. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, notice Jesus hanging out with his people, and they start talking to themselves. How could he ever be the Messiah? How could he ever be the Son of God? I mean, look at who he is hanging out with. These people are scum. They're pathetic. They're worthless. They're jobless scum. So Jesus, who is being fully God, the thing you need to know is that while he was on earth, he was fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man. He hears this, and them talking about this irreligious people. He is God. He knows all things. And so he comes up to him and he just says, Hey guys, can I tell you three stories? Just three stories. And they all kind of begrudgingly are like, okay, that's fine. Now, some of you may have heard these three stories before, but for these Pharisees, these religious leaders, this was the very first time they had ever heard these stories. Story number one. It's about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And one of these sheep get lost. They wander off. They get into darkness. They're not found. And when the night comes, the shepherd starts counting all of his sheep. And he's like, we only got 99. And Jesus tells the story that he leaves the other 99 and he searches all over the fields until he finds his one sheep. And once he finds the one sheep, he beats the sheep. Is that what the scripture says? Oh, okay. I was just thinking about, well, nothing. Uh, No, he doesn't beat the sheep. He picks the sheep up and he runs back and he holds it and he puts it back into the flock. And then he contacts all of his friends and his family and he says, come to this party. I want you to come to this party. One of my sheep have wandered off and was lost, but I found it and it's not going to get hurt. It'll be in my care. So in honor of this, I'm throwing a party. Would you come? I just want you to come. I want everybody to come to celebrate that I found my lost sheep. So that's story number one, a shepherd with a lost sheep. Story number two, there's a woman who has ten coins. It represents all of the wealth that she has in her life. So take your 401k, your pension, your savings, whatever, 10% of it you can't find. She misplaces this coin. She searches all over, up and down the house until she finds the missing coin. And when she does, she starts texting all of her girlfriends. And she gets on Facebook and she like sends it to all of those friends. And she's like, girlfriend, I found my lost coin. And I want you to come to a party. We are going to pate. And so I want you all to come. And we're going to do each other's nails. And we're just going to have a fun time. And things are going to be wonderful. This is going to be great. Because I lost 10% of my income to live on for the rest of my life. But I found the lost coin. That's the story of a woman with a lost coin. Story number three. It's the best known Of the three stories, it's about a man who has two sons. The younger son goes to his father, the man, and says, I would like my inheritance now. 
but son, I'm not dead yet. I know. I want you to give me what you're going to give me when you die. I want to enjoy it now. So give me the loot that you're going to give me right now. Now, that's like not a very good thing in present day 2017, but in the Middle East at that time, it would be scandalous. Most people would be kicked out of the family and never allowed to ever come back again. But the father, for some reason, decides, okay, you're my son, I love you, and he gives him his share of the inheritance. And this young kid goes out, man, and he's like bulging with money. He's got money clips everywhere. And he goes out and he's like, man, I'm going to live. I'm going to live it up. And he goes ahead and he does so, and he does all of these kind of nasty things. And finally, he looks back down and all of his money clips are gone. He has nothing left. And the only thing that he can find that will give him any income is a less than minimum wage job of feeding pigs. And he's feeding these pigs. And one day, he looks down he's like, man, that looks pretty good. I'd like to have a bite of the slop that I'm giving to the pigs. And all of a sudden, he's like, what am I thinking? That's crazy talk. And the scripture says that he actually came to his senses, is what it says. And he got this wake-up call. He's like, this is crazy. He goes, I'm going to walk back home. And so he starts his journey going back home. And he realizes to himself, I'm such a knucklehead. I'm such a jerk. But he creates this plan. And the plan is this, that he's going to give a quick apology to his father for taking his inheritance early. And then he's just going to walk on to the servant's quarters and find a bunk there. And he'll just live there for the rest of his life because he knows that that's where he belongs. And he barely deserves that because he is royally screwed up. And he spent all of his father's wealth. And he knows it. And so he starts walking. And he gets to the driveway and he looks down and he's like, man, I need some Ativan right now. <laughs> but he doesn't have any money to do anything. He starts walking up the path. And he sees this old guy with a robe and the guy takes the robe and he like wraps it around him and he's like sprinting towards him. He's like, oh, that's my dad. He is so ticked off. He's going to come up here and he's going to punch me right in the face. And he gets closer and closer and he's really nervous. And finally, he notices that his dad is crying. There are tears coming down from him. And he runs right to his son and he gives him a great big bear hug. And he starts hugging him and kissing him. And in between the hugs and kisses, he's like hugging. And he's like, oh, son, I love you. I've missed you so much. Welcome back home. Welcome back home. And then he says, we're going to have a party. We're going to have a big party. And so they get to the homestead and he gets them brand new clothes and he gets them a family ring. And he invites everyone in the surrounding area to come. And every person he sees, he said, hey, 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 my son. He's back. My boy is back. 
All is well in my world. And those are the stories. Back to back. To back. And Jesus tells these stories to these religious leaders. And what's interesting, he doesn't explain the stories. He doesn't say, hey guys, this is what this means. He almost kind of leaves it for them to say, I want you to think about this for a little while. I want you to kind of ponder. Twelve years ago when we started the jar, I was in my office and I was reading this passage of Scripture and I'd never ever taught on all three before. I just taught on one. But for some reason I was reading all three of them. And as I was reading them, it rocked my world to begin to start imagining the love of the Father for me. And that He was very, very clever, Jesus was, in how He put those together. And for the rest of our time, I just want to share with you quickly three things that are common themes in all of these areas. The first theme is this, that in all three of these stories, something of value comes up missing, and what is missing really, really matters to somebody. You see, you see the, the sheep matters to the shepherd. The coin really mattered to the woman. And you ask any father if they have a wayward son, if that son matters to them, and they will tell you absolutely they do. And the wayward son really, really mattered to the father. And you know, as Jesus is telling these stories, he basically is saying to the Pharisees, guess what, guys, guess what? Those irreligious people that are over there, the ones that you can't stand, the ones that annoy you, the ones that you really would just like to get rid of, the Father says those really matter to Him. And if the Father says that it matters to Him, shouldn't it matter to us? Those unbelieving people, those people over there, whoever it is, who the Father loves immensely. Folks, people who are far from God, they matter to the Father. And if they matter to the Father, they should matter to us. Now, quick time out here for a second. I might get in trouble for asking this question because I'm going to meddle here for a little bit. But here's the question, okay? Who can't you stand? Not the person beside you, okay? Okay? Who can't you stand? Who do you wish you could vote off the island? I mean, they annoy you so much... If you could just vote them off the island, everything would be better. Patriot fans? I'm good with that. It might take me a lifetime, folks, 
to love Patriots fans. I'm trying, though. I'm trying. Some of you, every time that you see a Democrat on television or online, you're like, oh, I hate Democrats. Others of you, every single time you see a Republican that's on the television or online, you're like, oh, I hate Republicans. Slow drivers? Politicians? Lawyers? How about doctors? I mean, I know this one doctor. I mean, I'm not saying, but... How about this? Welfare queens. Oh, welfare queens. Serious? All they do is take our money, then they just kind of spend it all over the place. How about rich people? Man, I hate me some rich people, don't you? Tell the truth. Who can't you stand? Some of you, if you hear someone talking with a certain accent, you're like, ugh. Go back to your own country. How about Jehovah Witness? <laughs> Don't clap on that. That's horrible. Anyone that clapped, you might go to hell. Just joking. Mormons? Muslims? Jews? Skin color problem, anyone? You're raised in a family where they taught you to hate people who have a certain skin color. And every once in a while when the jokes come, you're right there. You tell the jokes. You make fun of them. You do anything you want. But seriously, who can't you stand? You know, when I was sitting there reading all of these 12 years ago, it just came to my mind. I had to retire hate in my life. I had to retire it. I knew I had to give up hating. Folks, it's quite a day when you finally realize that you just have to give up hating. Any kind of hate towards another person, regardless of the justification, done. Can't hate anymore. Because every human being that walks on planet Earth, folks, they really, really matter to God. There is not a person in your life that you ever locked eye contact with that does not matter really, really much to God. And when you look at people through Luke 15 lenses, all of a sudden people look different. The world looks different. And you will grow stronger in your capacity to love. Second thing. In each of these stories, the theme really was this. Something that is missing is worth an all-out search to find it. It's worth an all-out search to find it. The shepherd searches all night long to find that one missing sheep. The woman goes all through her house, through the nooks and crannies, to find that one coin. The father looks all over the place, over the horizon, waiting for the day that maybe, just maybe, his son might come home. And you know, as Jesus is telling these stories to the Pharisees, he says, hey guys, those irreligious people, those people that you can't stand, those people over there, they matter to the Father. They really, really matter to the Father. 
In fact, they mattered to the Father so much that you know what he did? He sent his one and only son to go and to die on a cross so that all of their shortcomings would be taken on him. And he would tell them constantly, no matter what you've done, no matter how big of a hole that you've dug for yourself, no matter what you've snorted, no matter what you've shot into your arm, no matter who you've cheated, no matter who you've lied to, no matter who you've slept with, I love you. There is a Father who loves you. And He is searching for you every hour of every day, every moment. He is searching that you might one day come home. You know, all of you that are Christ followers this morning, you are here because someone sought you out. Someone sought you out at one day, and that's why you're here. And those of you who are here this morning, and you're exploring Christianity, and you're like, I don't know. I want you to know this, that God loves you, and He is constantly searching and seeking you, no matter what. You know, as I studied these three stories, I began to have to ask the question to myself, do I love enough? Do I love people enough to seek them out with everything that was in, is within me, regardless of what their life is like, and introduce them to the love of the Father? Or do I stand by idly as they kind of, you know, self-destruct in their own life and like, oh man, it's horrible to be you. Man, horrible to be you. You see, folks, if I was stronger in love, if you were stronger in love, we would turn heaven and earth upside down to do a constant search to try to let people know that God is head over hills in love with them. We would want the best for them every single moment of every time. So let me ask you this morning, is your love that strong? It could be. Last thing. Retrievals bring great rejoicing. Retrievals bring great rejoicing. When the shepherd found his lost sheep, what did he do? He threw a party! When the woman finally found her lost coin, what did she do? She threw a party! When the father finally found his lost son. What happened? He threw a party for them. Luke 15.10 says this, In the same way is joy in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner changes their heart and their life. Several years ago, my wife Jennifer and I were at a uh, Colts football game. And on that particular game, at halftime, they honored this guy, Tony Dungy. He was placed into the Colts Ring of Honor. Only seven people up until that point had had their names in this Ring of Honor. And as Tony came out to get ready to speak, I mean, the place went crazy. 70,000 people, yeah! And they just kept going on and on and, you know, 
Tony's a man of integrity and pretty humble, and he's like, like this, and they just yelled louder. And the announcer like came on and was like, hey, you guys, you know, we need to, we got a second half, you know, coming here. And they just uh, yelling and screaming and cheering for him. And I'm there doing the same thing. And all of a sudden, I have this moment of a prompting of the Holy Spirit that said this to me. Not audibly, but in my spirit. Chris, every single time a wayward person, man or woman, comes to Christ, all of heaven does it. And it's not just 70,000 people, folks. It's trillions of people and angelic beings. And they're all there. And they're celebrating. Their only thing is to party and to celebrate and to dance and to rejoice that one was lost and now they've been found. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about all of this. And then all of a sudden, as Tony's there in the middle of this big stadium, I have this image in my mind. That one day, when I was 12 years old, that was me. That I stood in the middle to give my life to Christ, and all of heaven stopped in that moment. And they celebrated. And Jesus is like, this is all for him. We're all celebrating this. And I'm at this Colts game and everyone else has sat down and I'm still standing there and tears are coming down my eyes. And I'm sure people are looking at me like, dude, he was just a football coach, you know? (laughs) Like it's not that big a deal. Folks, those of you who have accepted Christ... The day that you did that, all of heaven stopped. God said, hey, angels, stop what you're doing. Look. And there was this party that took place. And everyone's like, well, well, who's it for? And they have this big table. And at the head of the table, it was your name. It was your name. It was your name. It was your name. And it's right there. And all of heaven is celebrating your decision. And for those of you that are Christ followers, whatever day it was that you gave your life to Christ, all of heaven stopped in that moment and they celebrated you with your name on a banner. And for those of you that are just exploring this Christianity thing and you're not so sure about it, you are simply one prayer away from all of heaven erupting in celebration and in joy. For your name. And it would thrill God so much that if maybe today is the day, you would say yes, and all of heaven today would celebrate you.
So I'm going to invite you to stand right now for a closing prayer. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up. And if you'd like prayer for anything, they'd love to pray with you. And I want to give you a challenge. Don't, don't leave yet because there's a good challenge for you. Two kind of challenges. The first one is if you're a Christ follower and people matter to God, they should matter to you. And if they do, who are three people that matter to you so much that you would invest in their life, pray for them, connect with them? Invite them regularly to church. And what I'm challenging you to do in the next 48 hours, to take 10 minutes to pull aside and just to ask God, God, who are three people in my life that if I prayed for them, if I connected with them, if I invited them regularly, how might you work in their life, God? And I'm willing to do that. And you could just put those three names down. And you can do that on the app if you want. There's going to be a place on our app for our circle of three. And I'm going to send you a video of three people when I first started the church that I looked at them and I said they matter to God. And if they matter to God, they have to matter to me. And they didn't have it all together. They were very far from God. But God used me in some small way because all people matter to him. And so we'll be sending something to you. And for you to take some time in these next 48 hours, who is it? Now listen, don't pick somebody four states away, like in South Dakota or something, you know. I'm going to pray for Aunt Clara. Man, she is mean and nasty. I'm going to pray for Aunt Clara. Well, you only see Aunt Clara once a year, and her fruitcake's nasty, and you don't like her anyways. Who you need to be praying for is your circle of influence, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, someone that you see regularly that you can invest your life in. And in 2017, their eternity might be changed because of that. And so the way we're going to close today is we're going to sing a song that we sang at the very beginning called Oh How He Loves. And I'd love you to allow those words to flow within you and to know that you are loved. We're just going to sing the chorus, but let's sing together. How He loves us that some of you, you might be here for the first time or you've just been checking out this whole God thing and you're like, I know your secret now, Jar Community Church. You want everybody to know that God, like, loves them. Guilty. We're guilty. We're very guilty of this charge. 
And this is what I want to say, that if we had the cure for cancer and we didn't give it away to other people, it would be criminal. And we have a gift that we want to give to people. And so maybe today you're saying, today is my day. I never thought about that. He loves me that much. And so I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And here at the jar, no one ever prays alone. So I'm going to invite you to uh, pray with me. But it's your prayer. Just repeat these words after me. Let's pray. Loving God, I am sorry I sinned against you. Forgive me for my sins. Make me new. I believe you died for me and rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you for the rest of my life. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, let's give a